Isn't that awesome? Thank you to all of you who helped with that and those of you who entrusted your kids to us for that week. It was, it was just incredible. If you're new with us, my name is Mike. In your packet of materials you got when you came in, you have an outline so you can pull that out. We'll be in a couple of different sections of scripture this weekend. We'll be in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6 as well as 1 Peter 3. In fact, we'll go to 1 Peter 3 first, so you might want to find that. It's in the New Testament, so if you kind of find the Gospels, uh, the book of Hebrews, keep going to the right and uh, it's in there. And, and this weekend is all about having a grace and being an ambassador of grace in the midst of adversity. And really, it's about you and I hearing the voice of God, which is why I wanted Pastor Marcus to sing that last song. It's about hearing the voice of God, opening our eyes that we can see God. Uh, but in addition to that, and sometimes most importantly, helping those around us to see. Because we don't always see ourselves, right? And we don't always see what God's doing. Uh, and if you're anything like me, you can get frustrated with kind of like getting into, the, getting into the weeds of life and not really kind of understanding that God's at work, which was the, my story last weekend. I was on vacation. Those of you who follow me on socials, you know I was on vacation. I was in Austin, Texas, visiting my kids and grandkids. In fact, this is a picture from last uh, weekend. Basically, this was last Sunday, I think. Uh, this is at my son's home. This is my son, Michael. My wife, Teresa, is down here with Abby, our little granddaughter, and uh, there's me. The, I'm, I'm the bald guy. I just thought I'd point that out in case you couldn't figure out who I was in this hairy picture. Anyway, uh, we're there. We're there. Uh, my boys and I, in fact, got to surf that day in Waco, which sounds weird, but you can Google that. Uh, it's legit. Uh, anyway, then, then that night we had Abby's birthday celebration, and then we were going to fly home Monday. And so we had this whole plan because how many of you like to plan? You, you like to plan? I'm a planner, so I, like, if it's in my calendar, my calendar tells me what to do, right? And unfolds the strategy of my life. Anyway, so you're going to fly. We had to fly through Phoenix because we used our air miles. So we we're going to fly through Phoenix and then fly home for, out of Austin. And so we get on the plane in Austin, and it's mid-afternoon. And it is so hot in Austin. How hot was it, Pastor Mike? It was so hot in Austin. I never had this happen before. It was so hot that the fuel in the tip tanks of the wings expanded and the fuel spilled out of these tanks onto the tarmac and rolled underneath the engines. So how many of you know you can't take off when that's the case, right? So we couldn't take off. So how long were you on the tarmac, Pastor Mike? So for two and a half hours... They had to drain the tank tips, uh, tip tanks because they were so hot. So they had to pull the fuel, refuel it with cooler fuel. <laughs> All of this took two and a half hours. So I was frustrated. I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to get back. I have to go to work the next day, yada, yada, yada. How many of you can relate with that, right? You're just, rah, 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 rah. and Teresa, my wife, she's so godly. She's this one. She's like Mother Teresa, okay? So Teresa was saying, hey, let's just make a date of it, chill, we'll be fine. I'm like, okay. Blah, blah, blah. So we finally take off, we get to, into Phoenix. Now, of course, we have missed our connection flight. It was two and a half hours on the tarmac. So I'm like, really? So then the flight was postponed to like 8.59 or something out of Phoenix, right? So that was like three and a half hours away. So I'm like, oh, gosh, 
She goes, I know, I know, so let's play cards. We have a deck of cards. Let's play cards and make a date out of it. We'll just have a date in the airport. Okay. And then about two and a half hours go by, I get a text on my phone, and it says, oh, your plane has been moved to 12.49 a.m. So we go up to the service counter, and she says, yeah, and that plane probably won't take off. We don't even have a crew for it yet. So really, we, we can put you up in a, in a spectacular double-tree airport hotel. <laughs> and I'm like, perfect. <laughs> so then we go home, and we go to the hotel. I'm super beat, you know, like from being in the ho- uh, airport and all that. And we'd surfed the day before, so I was tired physically. Anyway, so then we have to get up at like 4.30 a.m. because we have to get to the airport to take the earliest flight out of Phoenix to home, which is like, you know, 45-minute flight, right? I'm like, really? I could have driven from Austin, Texas. Anyway, so then we get on the plane. And then, of course, I get bounced. I'm always on the aisle. It's like, it's like a religious thing for me. I must be on the aisle. Anyway, uh, so, of course, I'm in the middle. <laughs> I get sandwiched in the middle. Teresa's on the window, and this wonderful lady, Linda, sits down next to us. Remember hearing the voice of God, seeing what God's doing in the places that are frustrating. So we sit down. We begin a conversation. Now, I'm pretty sensitive on a plane because I want to be sensitive to the person, and, you know, not everybody likes to talk on a plane and that kind of thing. Anyway, I begin talking with her, and Teresa begins talking with her. We ended up talking and and talking and and just kind of opening up, and she was very inquisitive, and and Teresa, she asked Teresa, you know, they were going through the thing, like, what do you do for work and everything? Teresa said, oh, I just retired from a nonprofit. That's our code language for pastoring a church. And, and she said, oh, I just retired from a nonprofit. And she goes, oh, really? Well, what did you do in your nonprofit? And so Teresa took like the next five minutes to tell her what we all do together, like all the things we do for kids and, and students and potable water projects around the world, the kingdom builders, whatever. So she, and she couldn't believe it. So Linda, now I'm in the middle. I'm like the monkey in the middle. So like I'm kind of trying to back my chair up, you know, so they can talk. And I'm talking to, I'm hoping I don't have morning breath, you know. Uh, anyway, so we get to talking and everything. And then just, it was just a God thing, and I could have missed this, which is what this weekend is about. I could have missed this, because she really wasn't interested in God. She clearly did not go to church. You would just have had to listen to the conversation. But what comes out is that I I asked her, why are you flying? Because she owns a home in Arizona. They own a home in um, uh, Ventura County, and then they own a home up in the wine country, and they have a yacht in in the harbor in Newport. So, you know, I'm like, why are you flying to San Diego? And she said, oh, actually, I'm flying to San Diego because I'm, I'm very ill. Now, it was up until then that I'm like, and then I'm starting to click, click. And t- come to find out, uh, she has blown kidneys, so she needs a kidney transplant. And she flies to Scripps to get all of her medical work done because that's kind of where she locates all of her medical stuff. And so she was literally flying in to get tested. Her kids are being tested to see if they're fit for transplants and everything. And and when she's sharing this part, she's starting to cry. So you know what happens when a woman next to you starts to cry? What happens? You start to cry, right? Am I the only one? (laughs) Anyway, so we're all three crying, listening to her story. And we're, then we start to, you know, crack into, um, then it comes, it switches gears from nonprofit to pastors. And so then we say, can we pray for you? And so we pray on the plane. We all three pray. We're all crying, holding each other's hands and praying. And then, uh, sh- you know, she says this. She says this. Now, she doesn't know Jesus yet. Notice I said yet. 
If you're taking notes, write that down. She doesn't know Jesus yet. But she said to the thick as the brick dude, maybe, because she had heard about the, the delays, she said to us, she said, maybe it's for me that your plane was stalled on the tarmac. Right? You see, you see what happened? She started connect the, to connect the dots, not just collect the dots, which is a huge problem in our lives. And, and this is the challenge. Like, how do I help other people open their eyes to God even when they don't want to, even when they don't want God in? Because uh, she really has not, she's not been a Christ follower. And I don't know what her total story is. We only had like 45 minutes. Like, she could have been hurt by a church people when she was younger, kid growing up. Uh, how many of you know Christian church people can be mean? Have you figured this out yet? And, you know, it's, it's a goal daily for you not to be one, right? <laughs> I mean, I know, I know. It's the constant challenge, right? Like, I try not to be mean, but I know I can be on any given day. So how do I help this happen, okay? So let's go in our Bibles. Go in our Bibles to 1 Peter 3. I want to go to 1 Peter 3, 15 and 17 uh, first, all right? So Peter here is writing in the first century. This is the Apostle Peter. He's writing to the first century church, kind of a circular letter. It goes to the, a bunch of churches, uh, Pontus. You can read about it in chapter one. Uh, but Peter says something very, very important to us about helping other people hear the voice of God, okay? This is very prescriptive, okay? So look at verse 15. Peter writing to the churches about a whole bunch of stuff, but then he lands here. This is one of the great sections of 1 Peter. He says, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Now hang on just a second. What does that mean? That means that at the heart level, which is the center part of you, both physically, I suppose, and then spiritually, it is at the heart level, you, you, you choose every day, even when you're on the tarmac, even when the tip, tip tanks are getting emptied, and even when you're ticked and whatever, you choose every day to get out of your own crazy talk and into God world, <laughs> okay? So you have to choose this every single day. This is true in your marriage. This is true with your kids. This is true in your workplace. This is true everywhere. And it's crucial to mission. This is crucial to your mission. A lot of you don't have a sense of your mission. Or you collapse your mission only into helping people hear the voice of God or see God in your ministry at church. This is about your mission of life what you're really doing in the world. It says, set about Christ as Lord in your heart. And then he says, always, circle that word, always, I have it underlined in my Bible, always be prepared to give an answer to the people who are nice, who, no, that's not what it says. That's why I want you to read your Bibles. I could say anything up here, claiming it to be in the Bible. If you don't have your Bibles open, you won't know. <laughs> to everyone... To give an answer to everyone who asks you, here it is, to give the reason for the hope that you have. See, my hope is in Jesus. My hope is in his healing power. My hope is that when I meet a, a Linda on a plane who's got kidney failure, I can pray for her and the Lord will somehow intervene. That's the hope. That's the reason for the hope that I have. And then he says, Peter writing, he says, but do this, Mike, do this, church, by being a jerk and uh, hitting them over the head with your Bible. 
No, what are the two adjectives? What are the two modifiers? What are the two words he says? Always do it with what? Gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. This is your mantra. This is how we are to be when we're helping those around us. And this is how we're to see God, to see him with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously about against your good behavior in Christ, because you will be persecuted for following Christ if you're actually following him. You will come under, uh, you know, fire, if you will, for that. Uh, against your good behavior in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will, I have that underlined also, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So this is the underlying kind of New Testament theology with regard to this issue. And you and I have to remember something. And we have to remember that when the world wants God out, God wants in, always. And the world wants God out, our American context particularly, we're working very hard to get God out as a culture. But God always wants in. Yes, he's frustrated by that. It breaks his heart because he knows that uh, us as a culture, whether we're talking about San Diego or California or America or whatever, whatever context, I could do the same thing in Vietnam. Uh, God always wants in. It breaks his heart that we want him out because he knows that's where the cray-cray is. He knows if the degree to which God's out, the degree of the cray-cray goes up. And so all of the tickers of cray-cray on a, on a cultural level will, go, will ramp up. Divorce rates, child abuse, um, you know, all, all the issues of culture will ramp up the degree to which we have God out. But it doesn't matter. He always wants in, okay? Now let's go in our Bibles to the Old Testament story. We're going to go to Elisha. This is our last weekend in Elisha. Next week we jump backward into a series called Pray. Trusting God and when life's kind of crazy. Um, but, uh, and we'll be back in David's life for, I think, three weeks in that, in that section. So go to 2 Kings 6. This is a cool, cool story. Um, let me set it up for you <coughs> before we read it. We are Elisha now. Elisha, he is the prophet of God in the land of Israel for 60 years. So he's, he's a prophet for a long, long time. This is in the fir- within the first decade of him becoming the prophet. In, in Syria, or Aram, as it is in your uh, uh, Old Testament, in Syria, the king is Ben-Hadad II. In fact, I'm going to show you a picture. I've showed you this before, but this is a picture of the ancient world, the ancient Middle East, from, from the t- day in which we are roughly, okay? So Aram is here. Israel is here. Uh, and we're dealing with the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. In this story, it's the northern kingdom of Israel. Does anybody know what the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel was? Samaria, that's right. So Samaria is the capital. Damascus is the capital of Syria. And so it's, again, Ben-Hadad in Syria and uh, Joram in the south, in Israel. And there are constant battles. There's constant wars between them. By the way, this is a map of today. This is a map of, of today's Middle East. So I just want you to keep connecting the dots that we're basically talking about the same area of, um, of the world as we're dealing with today. Who's the, so in the, in the time in which we are, Ben-Hadad is the king of Syria. Who's the president of Syria today? Assad, yes. So same thing, same kinds of wars and skirmishes and so forth, okay? Same, same deal. So it's in that context, look at verse 1. I'm sorry, verse uh, 8. Now the king of Aram, now that's Assyria, and so that's Ben-Hadad the second was at war with Israel. 
After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. Doesn't really matter where it is, but it's just there in the north end of Israel. The man of God, now we know this to be Elisha from the greater story. This is Elisha. So the man of God, so you, the man of God, you, the woman of God. So notice how the story goes. This, this is you, okay? The man of God sent word to the king of Israel. Beware of passing that, that place because the Arameans are going down there. They're, they're going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Now, you wouldn't know this unless you studied it, but Joram is not a godly king. He doesn't want God in. Ben-Hadad clearly is not a godly king. He's a polytheist. He believes in Baal and the asterisk. Now, so does Joram. Joram's mom and dad, Joram's mom, she's that woman that you never run into this name for a woman ever. What's his mom's name? Jezebel. <laughs> That's his mom. Think about family of origins for just a second, okay? That's his mom and dad. So he doesn't want God in. Ben-Hadad doesn't want God in, but God wants him. And he's going to use the man of God. He's going to use the woman of God. He's going to use you. He's going to use me. That's the deal. And you can't hold everyone to the standards you're committed to. Elisha, even though there are expectations, of course, toward Joram, he's the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, but he handles this very well. You have to be careful. I cannot expect a Linda to, you know, live up to the ethics and worldview of a Christ follower. She doesn't know Jesus for crying out loud. So you have to be careful with how you handle this kind of thing. The king of Aram, he worshiped Baal. He practiced child sacrifice to his gods. But you have to be careful when you're trying to help people hear the voice of God. I live in a world of F-bombs. Everywhere I go, everywhere I go, except pretty much here, <laughs> although I'd like to follow you around on Monday. Anyway, <laughs> everywhere I go, people drop F-bombs all around me. It's just normal. It's like their language. Now, I grew up that way. So I grew up that way. I didn't know Christ growing up, so I was that. I mean, the F-word was, you know, a normal part of my vocabulary. Really, Pastor Mike? Yes. This is the way I grew up. Even still, though, sometimes the longer I'm in Christ, the more I can, especially because I can lose the ability to talk with those who don't know Christ because I become judgmental. I become that person that anytime somebody drops an F-bomb around me, I just kind of get gnarly and like, rah, 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 rah. Now, there are times where I still will gently, respectfully aspire to the height of correcting a person in front of my wife, I can sometimes use that as leverage, though that's kind of, that's tricky nowadays, much more tricky than it used to be. It used to be you could do that, hey, dude, look, I'm with my wife, you know, uh, do you mind? I mean, you know, just dial it down a notch. You have to be careful with that one. But gentleness and respect, how does that work? We live in a world of narcissism. Narcissism is really the cultural religion of America. 
This is why you and I struggle so much with narcissism. I get, struggle, I get really frustrated when the tip tanks are boiling and there's fuel dropping underneath my jet engines and I have to sit on that tarmac for two and a half hours. What's that whole little monologue about? It's all about me, right? Because I don't see what God's doing. You and I live in a world where 94% of San Diego County does not go to church on any regular basis. So your neighborhood, I don't care where you live, 94% of all your neighborhoods don't go to church on any regular basis. That's certainly the case where I live, and I bet $100 it is the case where you live. Now, there are exceptions in pockets to it, but I'm talking about generally speaking. In San Diego, this is the deal. You and I are losing ground. So how many of you believe that your neighbors need Jesus in their life? Right? Do you believe that? This is why you are there. This is why you are there. But truth without grace is mean. But grace without truth is meaningless. Okay? Write this down. Love paves the way. Love paves the way. Always. Love paves the way. It's the way it is. It's the way God works. I call it the Romans 2 by 4. Romans 2, 4. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The, it's the 2 by 4 of Romans. It's the power play. It's the way God does it. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, even in the Old Testament. And God is always working even when he isn't welcome. He may not be welcome, but he's always wanting to work. He's always doing this. This is the generosity of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king. Did Joram ever learn the lesson? Nope. Scripture tells us, tells us in the larger story. He continued to be a polytheist, just like Ben-Hadad. He never got it. He's thick as a brick. Thick as a brick. But God always wants to work. Th that's, why you that's why a lot of our outreaches are geared the way they are. Why? Okay, do, does San Diego City Unified want God in the schools? No, 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 no. All you have to do is study curriculum history. All you have to do is pay attention to San Diego City School Board. All you have to do is listen, 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 listen. You have to listen. That's why one of the keys to, your, to helping people hear the voice of God and seeing God is listening well and long. Linda on the plane, earning the right to share. Why then, if that is the case, why then did Farb Middle School, the school right behind us, where we used to meet, this is where we started in Tierra Center, Farb Middle School, right? It's right behind this wall. Why is it that Farb Middle School gave you an award when there was the student shooting a couple of months back? Because of your kindness. Why is it that the schools give you awards as a church? Because of your kindness. Why is it that our schools call you when they have a crisis on their campus? It's because of your kindness. God always wants in, and he always wants to do this. And a delay is not necessarily a denial. I love this verse from Isaiah. In fact, this isn't in your outline, right? I don't think. So you might want to take a picture of it. But this is a great verse. I am the Lord, and when it is time, I will make things happen quickly. Now, how many of you, God's often too slow, right? He takes forever, it seems. But he's not. It's a timing thing. I'll talk more about that next weekend. It's a timing thing. What are you doing on the spiritual tarmac? What are you doing there? I don't know. All I know is that God's in it somehow. He's up to something. And you and I have to look for opportunities. Look for opportunities to demonstrate God's grace. 
This is what Elisha's modeling, and he's modeling it for his servant in the story, and he's modeling it in general. You and I get to demonstrate the grace of God all the time, every day, everywhere we are. This is how Home Depot becomes missional space. How many of you have ever run, you're doing something at the house, and you ran, you, you're missing a part, and so you have to go to Home Depot? How many of you have ever had that experience, right? Like, everybody. That's why if you live in Tierra Santa, you thank God every day for Ace Hardware. <laughs> There's a hardware store in the next shopping center, and when that wasn't there, it was brutal. You had to go all the way to the Home Depot from here. It was painful. And when they bought that place over there, I was like so happy. I met the owner and everything. He knows all about you. I've invited him to church a bunch of times. Okay, look at the story. Have you, by the way, how many of you live in Tierra Santa? Raise them up high. Huh, less than half of this room. Okay, I, I would just challenge you. I don't know where you all live, but I would just challenge you. Have you, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit you in the ribs a little bit right here. Have you invited the owner of Ace Hardware to church? I can't be the only one who invites him. Have you? If you haven't, I know you have been in that hardware store. I know you. I know how it works. I know you have been in that hardware store. Why have you not invited him? Now, next, that's a little bit of a subject for next week, and we're going to talk about fear. But fear is the number one thing that gets in the way of you inviting the owner of Ace Hardware to church. So you invite the owner. Well, it works in many ways. God'll, God's always up to it. Okay, so you can invite the clerk. Clerk's off on the way to the owner's heart because um, they're like kids to him. He's like my age, and you just have to know him. Anyway, so, you know, the way to a dad's heart is through his kids. But if you win the dad, you win the family. Okay? My point. Why am I, if I am, I may be not, but why haven't you, if you haven't, and you live in Santa, invited that dude to church? Just look at Elijah. Look at the story. Look at verse 11. It says, of course, you remember Elijah warns the king. So this enrages Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded from them, will you not tell me which of you is a traitor, basically. Which of you is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel. Now, how does he know about Elisha? He knows about Elisha because of how Elisha carries himself. He walks as a man of God. You and I need to walk as men and women of God. Doesn't mean you're a jerk. Means you're gentle and respectful. But you walk in authority. You walk in this power, this anointing, this mission in life that you actually have hope. And you know the reason for your hope. You're different. So how does he know about Elisha? Same way as your neighbors know you. Same way as the owner of Ace Hardware knows you. You're just different. You're called to, you, some of you are very different. <laughs> anyway. Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. That's, that's kind of gnarly right there, I just have to say. The Bible's actually funny if you pay attention. Anyway, some of you will get that later. Uh, read on, verse 13. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. And the report comes back, oh, he's in Dothan. Then they sent horses and chariots, so he sends an army uh, and a strong force there, they went by night and surrounded the city. So this is like paying attention to the 
uh, I call them divine appointments. You might want to write that down. It's paying attention to the divine appointments, the actual why of life, because God's always trying to set up divine appointments in our lives. And we have to choose to make our faith visible every day. I get up and I, I actually pray many days of the week, God, show me a divine appointment today. Help me run into somebody that I can share my God story with or help with the ways of God. Uh, anyway, Elisha the prophet, he's known for this. This is the way he is, he, and he knows what's going on. This is why I'm super thankful to those of you who help with the kids' jam thing, and you serve in your ministry areas inside the church. But all of that is really practice for how you are outside. And it's the way you carry yourself, the way you are Monday through Tuesday through Wednesday. And beware that fear can blind us from seeing the presence of God. Now here you're going to get into the story of the servant. Elisha has a servant, a mentee. This is a biblical thing. Like you need in your life to give you purpose, you need somebody behind you, alongside of you, and somebody ahead of you always. Now I cannot create that for you. This is a core value. It's a biblical thing. It's 2 Timothy 2.2. It's all over the Bible. Elisha, this is simply a narrative passage, okay? So his servant, the servant of God, of, of Elisha, gets up and goes out. Remember the Ben-Hadad had sent the army. He goes out early the next morning. An army with horses and chariots are surrounding the city of Dothan, okay, where Elisha lives. Oh, no, my lord. <laughs> what are we going to do now? This is classic mentee. Now, often I, I function as a mentee, you know. Oh, no, what are we going to do now, right? I'm just saying, you, you're gonna when you mentor people, you're going to have people who freak out. They're going to go, oh, no. I mean, to some extent, Linda is that. She doesn't have Jesus in her life. What am I going to do? She has a very uh, non-theistic uh, view of, wor of the world. So, right? Now, God's using the crisis in her life to draw her to himself. Okay? But this is the servant. Oh, no, what are we going to do? So it's, you got to be careful of the fears, and we're going to talk about that next weekend. So what is blinding you from seeing the presence of God? What is it in you that stops you from seeing that God is active in your life? What is that? What is that? And, and it's not just what is blinding, but, but ask him to make himself known. We're going to do this in a minute in prayer. Ask him to make himself known. So look at what Elisha does for the servant. This is in the next verse, verse 16. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. And then he says something that doesn't make sense on face value. Those who are with us, are greater than those who are surrounding us. What in the world? We'll look at the next verse. And Elisha prays. By the way, this is why prayer is such a key part of our lives. Open his eyes, Lord. This is why I wanted to sing that song. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I know, that was flat, whatever. Uh, open his eyes so he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked and saw the hills are full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. These are the angels of heaven. You need to see that the angels are in your life. Really? Is that in the Bible, Pastor Mike? Google angels in the Bible. What is my name? Michael. I'm named after one of the two named archangels in the Bible. Who's the other one? Gabriel. That's right. Gabriel. There are angels all over the Bible. They're everywhere in the Bible. They're all involved in your life. <laughs> like, and by the way, if you're, how many of you have kids? 
Okay, you need to teach the kids this when they're scared and going to bed. You need to pray. Okay, Lord, so I pray you station an angel right here on the foot of Holden's bed, and they'll watch over Holden all night long. Whatever. <laughs> you need to see. You need to see. You need to see. You are surrounded by a heavenly host all the time. All the time. Read Hebrews uh, 12. Hebrews 11. Read, read the Bible. It's there. And then God's grace, God's grace through your action, it changes people, you guys. Jesus taught it. One man plants, another man what? Waters, but God makes it grow. See, God wants to use you. Who, me? Yes, you. Now, you and I have to ask him to show us the best way to deal with open hostility. And it's different. It's spirit-led. This is dynamic. But look at how it does it here. Look at the story. Look at verses uh, 18 through 20. This is so cool. Remember, you're in an Old Testament context. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. Now, hold up, hold up, hold up. So, Pastor Mike, are you saying that operating in grace means I should pray for all my people at work that that are obnoxious and not open to Jesus, that God strikes them blind? Yes, go ahead and do that. No! No, remember, this is descriptive, not, not prescriptive. Plus, you've got to read the rest of the story. Okay, you've got to read the rest of the story. <laughs> anyway, so God strikes them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. And then Elisha told them, this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. And then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were in Samaria. What's the point? We have to be people of prayer, praying that God will not only open our eyes, that's the first step, that he'll open the eyes of those around us through us, through what we're doing. If we're a nurse in our medical community, if we're a teacher in our classroom, wherever we are, this is the way God works. Now, you and I, you know, we typically respond <laughs> not so well, I think. Like, is it prayer or what is it that we typically respond with? <laughs> maybe anger, maybe expecting them to be quicker, expecting them to jump up, expecting them to kind of embrace biblical values, whatever it is. But fighting fire with fire rarely works. Now, look at what, look what happens in this story, okay? Now, this is very, very unusual. Look at what happens. When the king of Israel saw them, now this is Joram, when he sees them, he asks Elisha. This is a totally appropriate uh, question in the ancient context, okay? They had no Geneva Convention. Um, <laughs> their rules of warfare were, I mean, a lot of our rules of warfare today in modern America, the ethics of war, is built upon the law of the Old Testament. I'm just saying it wouldn't be out of culture for Joram to say this. Shall I kill them, Father? Shall I kill them? They would have wiped out the whole bunch, okay? <laughs> I know that sounds a little wonky. It's just the way it is in the ancient world. And then Elisha says, don't kill them. Now, this is really shocking. Remember, they're in constant war with the Arameans, the Syrians, okay? He says, don't kill them, he answered. And then it, the NIV translates this in a way that's a little difficult to understand. It says, uh, would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? His point really is, if you study it across the different translations, his point really is that who brought this army to you, Joram? See, he's teaching Joram. 
Remember, Joram doesn't want God either. Who brought this army to you? Who, who, who is it? Who is it that brought the army? God, right? God, this is like a miracle. God brought the army, blinded through Elisha to Samaria, and then opens their eyes. Joram, don't take credit for this. Ask the question, what is God doing? And kindness paves the way. Look at what happens in the story. Look at the rest of it. It's really a remarkable story. He says, do not kill them. Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master, uh, Ben-Hadad. Okay? So he prayed, uh, I'm sorry, so he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. And so the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Now this does not last forever. Uh, if you read on in the Bible, uh, the very next scene is time later, but the Syrians again invade Samaria, resulting in a famine where cannibalism actually happens in Samaria. So it doesn't last forever, but kindness and compassion leads. This is why the two by four is so powerful in your life. You must pave the way for, for the grace to come by relationship and by kindness and love. Love paves the way, always. This is true in all marriage conflict. Love paves the way. Like when you're having troubles in your marriage, when you're having trouble with your kids, grace looks like kindness and compassion. Yes, there ultimately needs to become discipline, but it has to be wrapped in the package of grace and kindness. Otherwise, it becomes abusive. And so how is it that you and I can help reveal God's presence in the midst of difficulty that others are facing? Well, that, the how is like you get into the next steps class, you figure out what your next step is in terms of ministry, you get baptized if you need to get baptized on the baptism weekend. You, you, you simply begin to move into whatever the next step looks like. Like it could be something as simple as inviting the dude from the Ace Hardware store to church. I don't know what it is. It certainly means that the places you water your horses become a missional place. What do you mean? Um, some of you work at Qualcomm. Some of you work at Intuit. Some of you are on board a ship. Some of you are educators. Some of you are stay-at-home moms and dads, but you go to parks. Where you water your horses becomes a real place of ministry. Or you're just watering your horses. You get to pick. But that's what a man of God does. This is how a woman of God lives. This is... Look, coming to church doesn't make you a Christ follower any more than getting into your garage makes you a car. This is how a man of God lives. This is how a woman of God lives. Now, we'll talk more about it next week and the fears and stuff. I'm just saying, this is what godly people do. Oh, but I'm an introvert, Pastor Mike. Get over it. God made you an introvert. Lean into it. So what does that mean? You know, you generally like one-on-ones. If you're an introvert, you generally like one-on-ones, one-on-twos maybe, or larger groups. So, honestly, the power is in the Linda next to you on the plane. It really is more in the one-on-one. First time I invited Ace Hardware dude. Uh, he just got here. 
And, you know, it was a bit of a crisis of faith. I mean, <laughs> whatever. Um, he'd made a ton of money in the market, and he was an executive at a tech company up in Silicon Valley, cashed out, put a million dollars into that store. Things weren't going so well. There I was. How'd you find all that out, Pastor Mike? You just have to listen. Just have to listen. How many of you can listen? Raise your hand if you can listen. Okay. <laughs> I have to do is listen. Kamar's gonna, our director of outreach, she's gonna develop a little tool, and I'm gonna exit a series some point in the future. I'm gonna teach you and train you to the tool. Questions that you can get in you. I'm gonna give you a little, like, uh, business card size thing that'll have like five questions that'll unlock all kinds of ways in which you can share your God story. But I, I must say this, you are surrounded. Ben-Hadad and Joram are around you every day, all day. And they may not appear like they want God in, and they may never, but remember, you plant, you water, that's on you. But God makes the increase. So let's bow our heads and pray.